Welcome to another episode of Visitings, where we talk to artists who are engaged with the public outside the traditional exhibition space. My name is Alan Nakagawa, and I'll be your host. Danny Gamboa is an artist based in Los Angeles, the co-founder of Healthy Active Streets, a safety advocacy group, and is a staple of the underground community of volunteers known as Ghost Bikes LA. On Facebook, he maintains the page uh, Ghost Bike Documentary and also Healthy Active Streets. Uh, my name is Danny Gamboa, and I'm the director of Healthy Active Streets in Long Beach. Nice. And we met through Ghost Bikes LA. That's right. Um, right. We met through... And I'll be taking pictures of you. Yeah. So we met through uh, Ghost Bikes LA, which is a group of volunteers that uh, place uh, ghost bikes throughout Southern California. Um, we view that as uh, both an art project and uh, also, you know, activism and advocacy. And can you elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. <clears throat> so uh, a ghost bike is a bike that's uh, stripped of its parts, painted white, and it's placed at the at, at the location of where a cyclist was hit and killed, usually by uh, someone driving a motor vehicle. Um, since 2011, I've been following other folks like uh, Leslie Caldera, who's a mutual friend of ours. Um, he's an artist, and he's been putting up ghost bikes far longer than I have. But uh, I asked to join him one night so I can do a photo essay, and. I was just really drawn to the idea of um, people going out of their way to, you know, pay their respects and homage to someone that they didn't know, a complete stranger, but someone that they felt that they had a uh, bond with because they themselves rode a bike. And, uh, you know, being a cyclist myself, I, I kind of shared that same bond. I kind of felt that I can relate. Um, because, um, you know, it's inherent when you're riding a bike in Southern California that you'll have at least one close call every time you're, you're out there riding your bike. So for every one of those close calls, you're like, Hey, that, um, you know, yeah, on, on any given day that could have been me or someone I know. So it what initially drew me to ask Leslie if I can join was I felt that, um, Everybody in the cycling community knew of a ghost bike, but the general public didn't. Um, maybe they just saw a white bike that someone, uh, you know, a monochromatic bike. That maybe they thought, hey, that someone was kind of artsy and they painted a bike and they left it uh, locked at this location. But when that white bike turns into a, you know, like, like a site of a vigil or, or a, you know, like, like a shrine then they get the idea oh that that bike represents you know something different that mm. that 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 brings meaning so you know when i when i see a white bike i you know i i think oh someone someone was hit there and someone was killed and someone was killed doing something that i love so look, going back to that moment uh, you contacted Leslie. How did you even find him? 
So Leslie and I go back um, many years. We've been friends for a really long time. Uh, I met him through riding bikes, and he organized um, the Moonlight Century, which is uh, 100 miles of riding your bike with crazy other folks at night. Um, so I, I I remember riding with him. Also, he organizes... Um, the Long Beach leg of the All City Toy Ride, which is kind of like uh, all cities get together, and it's like Midnight Riders kind of themed, and um, people bring gifts, and then then we we all get together and have a party or a gathering, and then those those gifts get donated to a local charity or or a group. Oh, that's great! Yeah, so it, it, that happens pretty much every year around Christmas, and uh, Leslie had always organized the Long Beach leg. Because he lives, actually, he doesn't live in Long Beach. He lives like in Cyprus or, yeah, like he lives like on the border of Long Beach, on the east side border. So he would organize the Long Beach uh, route because that would be the closest to his house, oh. and that's how we met through through biking. And in how did the like how did you get to know that he was involved in the ghost bike culture? Well, I, I knew that Leslie um, was an artist. Mm-hmm. So I, I first found out that, you know, in talking to him, um, that he was, uh, you know, multidiscipline artist. And I thought that, that was really cool. Um, and, and so are you. Yeah. You yeah. come from that. I, I do. And, and so we related on, on you know, the fact that we're both out on bikes. We love biking. And I think at the time um, he was working as a teacher or a professor and, uh, you know, we were like into some of the same cool stuff and he was into like male art, which I, I didn't even know about. He, he kind of like taught me about male art and I didn't, I thought that that was awesome. And then, uh, through, through our conversations, I found out that he, he places ghost bikes. So then I was like, I was already drawn to the ghost bike idea just because I've seen them. And then I've noticed that a lot of people were being hit. Mm. It's just, you know, once you're, once you're aware of something, it just you're automatically drawn and you're automatically affected by those stories, whether you see them on social media or in the news or just, you know, reading your morning paper or whatever. Um, when you when you are aware, you, you relate to those certain stories and they kind of like pop out at you. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, your your algorithms on your phone bring you more of those news. Right. Because that's what you're into. So. Mm-hmm. I was acutely aware that of, of an uptick in cyclists being hit and, and killed in Southern California. And uh, since I knew that Leslie was putting up a ghost bike, I thought to myself, hey, I could do, I could do a photo essay and then just bring some awareness. And, and um, I called Leslie and I said, hey, Leslie, can I, can I meet up with you um, on one of the nights where you put up a ghost bike? I want to run this idea by you. I, I would like to ask for permission to, to see if I can take some pictures of you guys when you do it. I want to learn about the process and, and why you do it. And uh, Leslie said, hey, Danny, we're putting one up tonight. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, where do you want me to meet you? And I met him at his house. And uh, him and um, a punk artist that also writes bikes, Ed, Ed Che, Leslie, and I, uh, we carpooled over to um, the Orange County, deep in Orange County, and uh, we put up uh, a ghost bike. Wow. And I remember 
um, it was for a it was for a gentleman called uh, his name was Amin Brittel, I think, and he was a an ex Olympian. He was he was like an actual athlete, Whoa. and he was out uh, training on his road bike, and he was hit from behind by uh, someone who was uh, you know drinking and driving or driving under the influence of something. Mm. Yeah, so I remember putting up that ghost bike, and uh, while I was out there taking pictures of Leslie, it was uh, it was a very solemn experience, and it just like it hooked me. I was just like, "Wow, this is something special. This mm-hmm. is something that uh, it just it's something that I just respond to." You know, as as an artist, you're like you're drawn to certain things. You know, it, whether it's paint, canvas, or you know, people that do. I, I really look up to people that do performance art because they're drawn and, and their passion brings them to a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, it was it was the, the humanity of of people that do something for someone for, for no, you know, they do it in the cover of night for no recognition. This is no accolades. You know, they don't post on social media. They... Um, they do it for nothing other than to honor the person that that, that passed on, mm. and then also to raise awareness. Because if people see that ghost bike, the the thought is yeah, maybe people would be more aware. So we're trying to raise that uh, consciousness of you know, watch out for the most vulnerable road users, which are you know people on bikes and people walking and people on skateboards. So I, I was really drawn to that. You t- told me once that uh, you got to work with uh, famous artist Guillermo Gomez Pena. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So um, Guillermo Gomez Pena, I've known about him for for many years, and he's like the performance artist in in my opinion, my in novice opinion. Uh, he's the foremost in the world. If you talk, want to talk about performance art, you're, you're gonna you're gonna have to talk about Guillermo. And uh, I've I've always admired his work, and there I had an opportunity to apply for a um, a course with him and his troupe uh, La Pocha Nostra in San Francisco. So you know I applied and I was accepted, and I went up to San Francisco and spent a week with them, and uh, you know learned about their the way they do things and how they process um, you know everything that they do together, and it's it was it was such a eye-opening experience for me um for me ghost spikes can be a form of um performance art i have painted um ghost spikes alone and with the help of family members inside galleries before so we have uh performed the actual ritual of removing all of the parts from the bicycle you know Mm -hmm. stripping it uh you know sanding it down if need be cleaning it up and preparing it for paint and then painting it as as a um, as a performance inside galleries mm. um, we have done that in the past and to me it's it's a very beautiful thing when someone that has lost someone is is doing that for someone else so whenever we do that we already have that bike already ha- has a spot somewhere in the street that you know that bike's going to be placed so we don't just paint ghost bikes and then just you know store them. Uh, 
um, even even in the performances, those bikes are are, are meant to be used. Mm. Unless it's um, there were some times where we do installations and then we just hold on to those bikes and then unfortunately they get used, they get placed. Chronologically, um, did you? do the workshop in san francisco before you got into ghost bikes or is it after no it was after it was after yeah um i think that um i did explain to them that you know my 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 experience in performance was very limited and i i do see you know placing a ghost bike as a performance piece if you the way leslie did it to me was performance um they hardly ever said a word. They maybe mumbled like a few sentences. Um, it was a very like cathartic experience to be there and experience it and, and take photos and take, and actually I also took video of it. And, you know, f- with my um, partner, Kat Jarvis, we f- finished like two shorts and screened them. And it was, it was a really, really like just something that just grabs you when, when you see it. Um, I think, for me personally, because I had like an invested interest in, in the subject matter, which I am, you know, I love uh, riding a bicycle ever since I was a kid. My background is, you know, I've commuted to work in my bike and you know, I use it for exercise. I also use it for fun. So, you know, pretty much my life, my bike's been my escape. You know, it's, it's, it's my way of getting around sometimes. I do drive, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, if, if my preferred mode of transportation would be walking, transit, and bicycle, you know, I don't know how to skate, but maybe skateboard sometimes if I learn how to skate. <laughs> yeah, you're probably one of the most multimodal human beings I've ever met in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can definitely speak on that. I... I have a commercial driver's license. I drive a big rig. I drive, you know, motorcycles, bicycles, you name it. And you're also sort of doing it for a living. Yeah, not, yeah. I mean, not just as a truck driver in the past, but yeah, kind of doing that for the industry. Yes, yeah. um, I am really lucky to be working for a project for one of the major car manufacturers and I signed an NDA but I can't say too much about it but uh, the project is revolutionary and uh, it it, if and when it becomes you know available it's going to revolutionize the uh, goods movement You know, growing up in, I grew up in Long Beach. Um, growing up in Long Beach, I, I developed asthma because of the goods movement. I, I have asthma and I, in my jacket. I have an inhaler and I carry it everywhere I go. Um, I don't have like asthmatic symptoms, but as soon as I start like laughing a lot or, you know, doing heavy exercise or exerting myself um, or there's dust or something or actually if I'm just out in traffic, riding my bike, I'll have to use my inhaler. And it's a direct result of, of, you know, all the trucks and the diesel emissions, the, you know, the particulate matter. And, you know, it's, 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 it's real. The environmental effects of the goods movement in Long Beach and Mm -hmm. anywhere, if you live close to a freeway, those, those, those affect people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm one of those affected, (laughs) unfortunately. 
And you have the refineries. And we have, uh, yeah, we have refineries um, all along this, the harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the freeway traffic and, and the truck traffic, that's, that's the leading cause of most of the pollution in our communities. Um, the Port of LA and Port of Long Beach combined have so much traffic and so much volume. And last year, they've actually beat all records. Um, they're slated to have more volume because we tend to buy a lot of crap. And all that crap tends to come from other places other right. than right here. Right. So, I mean, uh, by local folks, if, um, if we can, you know, curb the stuff that we buy that's imported, that would help. But, uh, right. You know, that's a very, very difficult thing to do, right? It's maybe buying recycled and buying local would, would help just a little bit. Right. But I mean, everything we buy from the mics that we're speaking into to the yes. computers to, you know, the vehicles that we drive, most of them, uh, half of them are imported, the parts, you know, everything, toothpaste, they're, they're, even some food is imported. So right. all of that has to come through um, a port. And uh, combined, the Port of Long Beach and the Port of L.A. are the biggest in the nation, right? Mm. Or one of the biggest in the nation. So in seven years, you've probably seen a lot more bikes on the road. Oh, yeah. How's that going? Well, it it started with, remember when the gas price went up a little bit? (laughs) And uh, also, um, there's like this notion that I, I, and this connotation that I like to talk about that I kind of don't agree with. Um, People label invisible cyclists and, and, and invisible cyclists are folks that are, um, you know, unbanked, undocumented um, people that uh, you, you kind of just pass by on the road and they might be people that are currently without homes. They might be, you know, low-income folks. They might be, you know, people of color, like myself. And uh, there's this label that's been bestowed upon them of, of invisible cyclists. You know, the people that we don't see because we don't know their stories because they're not white or they're not, you know, affluent or they're not, you know, young and you know, a certain fit a certain mold. You can't you can't necessarily put them in a certain label or in a certain box. But they're people, you know, they're, they're, they're people just like you and I, and uh, they're trying to get home. They're trying to get to work. They're trying to get to church. They're trying to get to school. They're trying to get to the grocery store so they can buy food, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, when I, when I think of, you know, especially in the media, you see that label a lot. I'm like, no, those are people just like you and me. They have the right to use the street just like you and I. They pay taxes just like you and I. And... Um, if we could just be more conscious of not necessarily thinking about, you know, which label we're going to bestow on that person, but think of them as a human being trying to get from point A to point B and the fact that he has the right to be there, you know, w- without the fear of being oppressed, without the fear of getting hit by a car, without the fear of that he might not make it home that day, you know. Let's, let's, let's kind of twist that conversation into more, you know, humanizing of these, these folks. And I think of them because a lot of the folks that we put up ghost bikes for, they they tend to be 
uh, lower income folks. They mm-hmm. tend to be people of color. They tend to be young folks, you know, and 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 I, we see that a lot. The volunteers at, uh, that we work with see that a lot, and you know, our volunteers are family members that they themselves have lost someone, and uh, they we see that uh, you know the people that that get hit are, are people that look just like you and I. Like, I, I can tell you how many ghost bikes we've put up. I can tell you how many I've been a part of. I can tell you how many I've put up by myself. I, I lost count a long time ago. Wow. But I can tell you one of the last ones that I put up, I've actually put it up with, with my son. Oh. With Evan, who's uh, he's 12 years old, and one of his schoolmates was hit in Long Beach. What? Yeah. On his way home from school. So one of his uh, friends was riding with um, with someone else. They both uh, rode home together. And uh, there was a car who was making a left, didn't see, didn't see them crossing in the crosswalk and uh, hit and killed this young boy who was also 12. They, they go to school together? Yeah, yeah. They, they're in the same grade, and I think they had one class together. Um, my son, Evan, told me that he would uh, sometimes hang out with him during lunch break. So he knew, he wasn't, like, really close to him, but he knew, he knew he, of him, and he was friends with him. Origin of the ghost bike, to my knowledge, it um, started uh, in the early. Oh, now I don't want to mess this up, but um, it started. Now I'm drawing a complete blank because I'm thinking of Ted Rogers' stuff. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, there was there was this artist, and I forget his name, but uh, I'll insert his name here. Uh, he saw somebody hit, and he was reminded of an art project that he saw where someone did something monochromatic with a bicycle and uh, he decided to do an altar a ghost bike and it kind of took off from there um i want to say it started in st louis and i can't quote the year but uh, a few decades ago so i found something um LA County bike collisions by year and month. So in 2017, there were 3,453 bike collisions, which is down from 2016, which was 4,151. Wow. Still huge. Of those, I don't know how many are deaths, but that those are collisions. That's the number we should be quoting. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think that the number of, of deaths is somewhere in the 200, right? I think that's what I saw at one point. But if we say, you know, there were uh, uh, just under 3,500 bicycle collisions last year alone, that's ginormous. It is. And the thing about that is, is that 
could have could some of these have been preventable and and what we can do as individuals and then also what we can do as a community to to make the streets safer for everyone not just for bicyclists for pedestrians for people in in walkers and wheelchairs and for kids mm-hmm. so i know that the number one cause of death for children is automobile crashes so you know that's terrible. This 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 is to the level of it's you know it's actually a it's 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 a public crisis. Right. You know, it's a health crisis. I'm sure it's, they will. Uh, it's very progressive, but it, you know I think they also look at the stats and they have access to to the data. Right. So they they know exactly where the collisions happen, and uh, you know I think one of the things that Vision Zero, like one of the main pillars of Vision Zero, is education. So you know what's the role of our county health department in in education? Well, you know they can get involved, they can teach bike safety, they can teach pedestrian safety, they can do they can do a lot of good. Right. And you know coincidentally the. Healthy Active Streets, which is, you know, a local community-based organization that, that I co-founded, um, we teach bike safety. And a few years ago, we were named Impact uh, Communities. We transitioned and changed and rebranded into Healthy Active Streets. But while we were Impact Communities, we actually taught bike safety for the Long Beach Health Department. Oh, ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Is that effort continuing under the, the new name not yet yeah but we're currently working with uh folks at metro to make that happen i i would be kind to say large institutions (laughs) uh yes uh they do sign checks for me Mm. um so if 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 you can imagine Metro or LADOT or OC Metro hiring uh, community-based organizations to do the work of contacting the community in which they want to improve um, safety. So what we were contracted to do it was to have community events um, like bike rides. We fix bicycles at um, open streets events in Long Beach. Um, we, you know, partnered with our existing community partners and gathered input for the Metro first last mile plan for the Metro Blue Line. And uh, we taught youth um, and also community members, stakeholders, how to walk with us and do walk audits, which is when you joined us, we were in the middle of doing a walk audit. So we had community members, we had youth. Um, we had, uh, folks just that, that had no background in planning. Um, we taught them how to do the walk audits. We taught them what to look for. We gave them sheets. We gave them maps. We paired them, paired them up in, in groups and, uh, we collected data for Metro. Now Metro is, um, in the process of finishing the, the first last mile plan for the Metro blue line. And, you know, as we know, the Metro blue line is the oldest of 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 the lines in in la so i think it's fitting that it'd be the first to to get a rehab um so that plan is getting ready to go up uh, to the board uh 
And when it does, um, the work that we uh, did for Metro is going to guide the investments oh, in, in, in the Blue Line, and specifically great. for us in Long Beach. So when we did those walk audits, we didn't just audit the station. We, wa- we actually walked the station area, a half-mile radius. So we're talking streets, bike lanes, trees, beautification, murals. Um, we also pointed out strengths in the community, like community centers, parks, um, you know, anything that was a positive. We also pointed out anything that was a negative, you know, blight, uh, vacant lots, you know, trash, um, broken sidewalks, broken streets, unmarked crosswalks, um, curb cuts that weren't curb that weren't cut, you know, curbs that if you were in a wheelchair or a walker, it would be difficult to impossible for you to cross the street. You know, so we, we wrote and annotated all that stuff down so that when Metro gets ready to uh, fund these projects, the stuff that our youth and our community members earmarked, that's going to get fixed. So it's, it's, it's quite revolutionary. Yeah, that was out in the desert somewhere. But, you know, I actually, I found something even earlier back in the Dada movement, oh. like related to the Dada uh-huh. movement. Um, in Europe, there was this group of artists that used a monochromatic bike okay. and they held it up as as a god. So they made kind of like, they kind of like enshrined it and it wasn't representing death. It was just representing, and I and I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, when we research this adequately, uh, it might have been Amsterdam. It okay. might have been Amsterdam, uh, somewhere where there's a lot of bikes. It could have been it be Netherlands, or I don't know. Well, these these group of artists, they they kind of made this like bike god or shrine, oh. and they they painted it monochromatic. So I I'm not sure if that's where. Uh, later in years, um, the artist from St. Louis used that as an example, uh-huh. or if also the other artist that um, did the, with the enshrined like ghosty um, silhouette of the one that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, and I'm really bad with names, but um, yeah, I think the the one in Europe came first. So I, and, but then again, you know, different ideas come from at different times. I, I think. Uh, now it's all come together and it's maybe taken the form of the artist from St. Louis where he, that was meant as a, as a, you know, a memorial. So it's a street memorial and, right. you know, back to the days of traveling where people would travel in covered wagons or in, you know, travel in, and people would die and they would leave a cross where people mm-hmm. would actually die. And, um, you know, that, that, that history of uh, descanso that's more a traditional sense and that's where I gather like my representation of what a ghost bike is Mm. it's 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 uh, it's meant as a memorial it's meant as an awareness piece and it may be also a performance piece That concludes another episode of Visitings. Thanks to Danny Gamboa for being on the show. Thanks, as always, to the Echo Park Film Center and Dub Lab for letting me share this. I'm Alan Nakagawa, sitting in my living room in Koreatown, saying thank you for listening to Visitings. Mm-hmm.